What's up, guys? I'm glad you're here. My name is Drake, and you're listening to the Double Click Podcast by Holy Hill Media. Today I'm joined on episode 25 with Harry Cunningham, not from Fort Wayne, not but Fort Wayne. one of Fort Wayne's favorites. I hear your name <laughs> everywhere, man. Thank Super you. excited to sit down with you and talk about your career. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Todd. I appreciate it. Yeah, truly not from Fort Wayne. Actually born and raised in Florida. Uh, spent 27 years in Florida through school and college and, and then started work, got married while I was living in Florida and then moved kind of all over the South, moved from there to Atlanta, to Birmingham, Alabama, Knoxville, Tennessee, ultimately ending up in New York City, uh, where we were for about 12 years. And that's where I had probably the, one of the big kind of shifts in my career. I was working for Saks Fifth Avenue there and, um, loved it. And it was fantastic and got to do some really crazy stuff. Uh, my kids were born while we were living in New York. And then I came to work here in Fort Wayne at Vera Bradley, but still didn't move here right away. Traveled back and forth for three years. That got old quickly probably sooner than the three years but got got old quickly yeah. uh, and I have 14 year old twins now they were younger obviously at the time and they were um, doing a lot of stuff that I was missing and so it was really important for me for my family that we be together more often versus me getting up at 3 30 on Monday morning to get to the airport and getting home at midnight Thursday night or you know noon Friday so we relocated here to Fort Wayne in fall of 2017 and we've been here ever since. That's yeah. awesome, man. That's awesome. So I'm curious, man, you've, you've, you know, before starting the podcast, we kind of talked about the depths in which your career runs from a creative yeah. professional standpoint, <laughs> you know, you know, nowadays there's a lot of uh, creatives who've really made a name for themselves in business and they have, they've, they really merged the two skills of the, the, the business acclimate with a, with a creative mind, which mm -hmm. I love and admire. And I'm jealous because I just don't <laughs> have that creativity as much in me. How did, how did, how was that growing in your career as yeah. a creative professional? I mean, especially one that's, you know, flying out of New York to Fort Wayne. It's, <laughs> you've had some awesome jobs, man. What was it like having a career like that early on in the early 2000s? Yeah, I would say, so my career started even in the, in the 90s, right? Okay, so I'm yeah, going to yeah. show my age a little bit. That's but all right. When I was really getting started in, in the, the retail industry, which is where my career has really been spent, creative careers weren't something you go to college for in the retail world. Like nobody, I, I started my career on the selling floor and then moved into what was a, a role called visual merchandising. And that wasn't anything anybody even knew, like my parents didn't understand what I was doing, right? So the, I, I would say fast forward, I've gotten to kind of grow with my career has gotten to grow with the industry a bit, I would say. So creative professionals have gotten much more or continue to get much more recognition than they did even back then, just because I think we all appreciate creativity and what it brings. And, and some of the most dynamic people in the world today are people that come from creative backgrounds. So I, I really love the fact that I can blend business and creative and really use two sides of my brain. Yeah. Uh, and I think that, you know, given the opportunity, there are a lot of people that are creative that also understand business and the importance yeah. of, you know, connections and what have you. So, yeah, it's been interesting to watch it grow. I think it's, you know, creative professions are much more prevalent now, arguably maybe one of the most important ones uh, outside of, you know, some of the ones that are, you know, education and things like that. But in the retail world, certainly creative professionals have gotten to be much more, much more prevalent and much more recognized. Absolutely. And so when you talk about, you know, explaining to your parents what that role even was, <laughs> and you're like, what is this? Yeah. How, how important is it do you believe for a young creative to have a community a team that backs them supports them because it is new terrain you know yeah. although they're very uh celebrated positions nowadays 
it's still not that easy to be seen and then be prevalent in any creative industry. How yeah. important is that support? Yeah, I think that's a big deal, uh, you know, because it, it. I think creative roles can also be lonely roles. Mm. Um, there are not a tremendous amount of creative roles in the retail world specifically, um, so they, they can be lonely sometimes. And a lot of people, like like my parents, didn't exactly know what I was doing. A lot of people don't understand what you do and why you do it and how your mind works, right? So I think finding your people is a big deal. And and I talk to my kids a lot about that now. It's like, you know, they're getting ready to start high school and, and it's kind of like finding your people um, early on is important. But again, it's like, you know, do you need one? Do you need 10? That's that's up to each individual. I just, I think once you find your 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 team, your your tribe, yeah. then you can go. But yeah. it's, I think, you know, all of us need people. None of us can do it on our own. Absolutely. Well, well, well said. And I think that creative collaboration is something that you guys have absolutely nailed at Good Market. Oh, thank you. Man, of course, of course. Let's talk a little bit about what Good Market is, um, yeah. the heart behind it. And obviously at that point in time, you know, it's it was a very Bradley initiative and just some history, some background on the purpose for launching Good sure. Market. Um, you know, it's funny, Drake, uh, the original concept was not what it became. Mm. Um, originally, as, as you mentioned, this started while I was still at Vera Bradley and we were sort of thinking about a, a research and development project about how retail was changing. So it was really like an opportunity to, to, from the creative end to really kind of let creative juices flow, just go and just try things. So originally it was going to be a blend of the two brands that Vera Bradley owns, Vera Bradley and Pure Vita, with a small space for tertiary brands to kind of rotate through just to get new eyes on the the you know two primary brands. Our CEO at the time, Rob Wallstrom, who happens to also yeah. be a good friend of mine, was smart enough to say, you know, if we're going to do something, let's not mess up the Vera Bradley flagship store, just do something different. Mm. And so this idea came to mind very quickly because Vera Bradley has the Breast Cancer Foundation that's raised, you know, over $38 million for breast Incredible. cancer research, right? Pure Vita has about 30 charities that they work with through a charity bracelet program. So this this kind of purpose-driven foundation was there, and it was sort of like, we didn't, we, we kind of had to recognize it. It was already mm -hmm. there, but it was something that we hadn't really embraced in a big way. So the idea came like, what if we could put purpose-driven brands together, brands that are doing good and really celebrate causes in a new way. Um, so that's kind of how it started when, when, you know, when we were talking about the idea in sort of the fall winter of 20, getting into January of 21, the stroke in April of 21, I thought we would probably get 10 to 12 brands. I didn't realize how big the purpose-driven space really is. So I thought we'd get 10 to 12 brands. Um, the first person I talked to was Brendan over at Utopian Coffee, right? Because we we have a cafe in the store and I wanted to bring his coffee in because it's a you know, socially conscious purpose-driven coffee. And he introduced me to one person that introduced me to two more that, you know, knew two more. And before I knew it, you know, we, when we opened in April of 21, we had 34 brands Incredible. in here that were all doing good you know, different types of good. Fast forward to now, here we are two, you know, two years and a few months later, and we're over 80 brands in the space. And and I think that's that says a lot about how the world's changing. And, you know, we see people that come in shopping and it, like everybody's going to shop anyway, right? Yeah. There are things that, things that you need. Our mission is really to make sure that you spend the money in a way that's also doing good for someone else. And I think people embrace that in a big way and they get excited when they come in and know that if they buy a blanket from Sackcloth and Ashes, for example, a blanket is going to a homeless shelter locally, right? So we've given over 2,000 blankets to the rescue mission here in Fort wow. Wayne through the work that we've done. But if you come in from, you know, Austin, Texas, you can leave your zip code with us and they will actually send a blanket to a shelter in your community. So, so cool. I think finding those kinds of causes has been really eye-opening and inspiring. 
at the end of the day, though, I'm literally just the platform to celebrate the stories of all the work that the, the people that our partners are doing here. Um, you know, we're, we're lucky to get to tell their stories and share their stories and, and share their journeys every day. Yeah. Uh, so that's, yeah, that's what we're doing. Well, it's, it's, it's really cool. And I think that, uh, I mean, even from, you know, the news covering what you guys are doing here, seeing that all over the internet, seeing articles on LinkedIn, on Facebook, you know, it's, it's something prevalent and it's something that the community is really proud of, but the good market's so much bigger than just Fort Wayne though. Yeah. And I, I'm curious as to your opinion, um, just from your experience in, in these industries, what is it about this point in time, the zeitgeist, if you would, yeah. that people are more passionate about purpose shopping, something businesses with a cause that give back, that care about their communities or whatever that they can relate to? What is it about this time right now, you think? First, I would say I'd love that you were use the word zeitgeist. Uh, we, were, <laughs> we were talking, um, so we acquired the business from Vera Bradley a little over a year ago. Okay. Or a year ago, July, actually, so right out a year ago. Um, but during the course of last spring and into the summer, we were talking to a number of big studios about the the stories that we tell and, and so forth. And to your point, like this, this kind of international reach of kindness, and, the, and they use that same word, zeitgeist. And I think what's happened is, you know, there's so much divisiveness that is is kind of being forced on people every day. And I don't know that people really want to embrace that. I think we're all born kind and we're yeah. all born wanting to do good. We're taught hate and we're taught mean and we're taught anger. We're not, we're not taught. We're not born with that. Know, we're not born with that, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think that there's just so much of that negativity that people want to come in here or want to listen to our podcast or want to hear the stories about good things that are happening. And and the generational shift is is pretty substantial. I mean, I yeah. think, you know, I've got teens now that tell me every day, dad, this dad, that, which is, you know, it's, it, I think a lot of people talk about the negativity of social media and maybe that's true, but I think there's also a lot of positivity that's also educated us on what's going on in the world versus, you know, 30 years ago, 40 years ago, when people lived in their community, they knew what was going on in their community. They didn't know what was going on 150 miles away or 2000 miles away. Um, now social media has allowed us to hear those stories, but it's also allowed us to extend our reach to help. Right. Um, so, you know, mission trips have been going on for decades, but it's kind of takes that mission trip and, and multiplies it or, you know, you know, countless times so that, Everybody now realizes that if you just buy a bracelet from Mudlove, Mudlove's one of our partners, been with us since the beginning. They're from Warsaw. You're giving somebody a week of clean water. Amazing. You know, 50 years ago, people didn't probably even realize that there were people in the world that didn't have access to clean water. Yeah. So I I think the the awareness that the world has now has certainly shifted that shifted that mindset. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. And I, I love the the generation of consciousness yeah. that's coming up. Uh, you mentioning your teenagers, which I want to talk about them yeah. at some point <laughs> and just see what kind of creative, you know, flow that they've got. But you, you did mention, just to kind of double click here, the acquisition from Vera Bradley about yeah. a year and a half ago. Would you mind talking about that process, um, even logistically? What, what does that look like? How does the process of acquisition really go for those yeah, who might not know? For sure. Um, and there are things that I can share and things that I can't sure. just because of our agreement. But, yeah. um, you know, we create created the brand while I was still there. And it was a a team effort of a group of us that were working there. It was not just me by any means. Um, I was probably the closest to it. The the name on the outside of the building was one that I came up with. The logo is my handwriting. That's Um, awesome. You know, the the stories are stories that I've created with with a copywriting partner. But I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. This was not a one-man show by any means. And we had grown the business pretty substantially. 
in the spring, early spring, late winter, spring of 22, we made the decision at Fear Bradley that we wanted to spin the brand off. Okay. And uh, anybody that's been in a public company would certainly appreciate the, the challenges that come along with creating a startup inside a public company. Public companies have to report their earnings every quarter. Startups <laughs> should not report <laughs> earnings every quarter, right? Um, nobody that, wants to see that. <laughs> nobody wants to see that. Um, and, and I'll tell you that, I mean, candidly, we, the store was doing good, so it wasn't really a question sure. of that we were failing. It was more just about trying to manage a small brand inside of a business, a $500 million business was challenging. So we came up with the idea to spend the company off. And I sort of had this kind of agita about somebody else taking this concept that I had created and running with it. So, you know, we were fortunate to be able to actually acquire the business from Vera Bradley. What it meant is that I had to leave the company. I couldn't be working for the company and buy from them at the same time. So I okay. left the company on July 27th and we closed on July 29th and the rest is kind of history um, there. But it, it's been, you know, an incredible journey. Um, I had always, my grandfather had a chain of dry goods stores in, in Florida in the 30s and 40s. And I had always said I wanted to kind of honor him um, and have a store of my own at some point. But um, the funny thing was I come from a family of educators. Okay. And um, that had really kind of overshadowed the fact that my grandfather had this dry goods store. But what I feel like I've been able to do real, really here is put both of those together. So we educate people on the causes that they're supporting and the purposes behind the product here. Uh, but we're doing it in a in a retail space. So, yeah. yeah, that's, that's kinda, super that's kinda cool, here, man. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, it's an it's, it's an unconventional uh, path as well. Yeah. You know what I mean? And <laughs> it's, it's, it's just really cool to see the dynamic that uh, Good Market brings to the community, but not only the community, but the um, just the retail space in general. I mean, you guys have inspired, I, from what I have, have heard from Josh and a few of the other friends, you've inspired other businesses to kind of really take to this model as well of purpose-driven uh, merchandise and, and retail products. You know, I, I am curious, at the end of the day, I do know that retail can be hard. Mm-hmm. There's volume. There's way more overhead than yeah. per se a marketing agency. <laughs> um, you know, there's a lot more. Uh, I mean, I guess voices involved now that you have so many different brands here. Although you know they're all under the good market uh, umbrella. What's been the dynamic in you know in in, in doing this specifically? Considering your past roles in this industry. Yeah. Uh, so I would tell you. If you asked me to do this 30 years ago, I would have said no. Okay. I wouldn't have been nearly as prepared. But I think for me personally, and my wife does all our buying, she she was a buyer prior as well. Oh, okay. I think we've been able to really tap into everything that we learned through our careers um, to really make it work here. But the interesting thing for me with the brands that we carry here, and I come from the luxury space. I was at, you know, as I mentioned, Saks for, you know, a, more than a decade. The The brands in the luxury space are highly competitive. And the brands in the purpose-driven space are highly community-focused. So it's it's community over competition here. Um, in, mm. in the previous part of my career, it was definitely competition over community, <laughs> right? Um, so I think that's what's been really inspiring to me. And I think back to when we – before we opened in April – of 21, we brought some brands together, probably eight or 10 brands together for a dinner in February. And this is when we were all still masked up and people were scared to sit next to each other and all that stuff, right? Yeah. Um, Favorite we, time in life. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We brought a, a probably six or seven brands together, the founders, and we were at a dinner. And, I, and I'm not a big fan of corporate dinners that can drag on and, you know, small talk that's never comfortable. Yeah. 
Four and a half hours after we started the dinner, people, the same people were still in the same room talking and sharing ideas and sharing troubles and sharing wins and celebrating, you know, successes. And so that's what's been really mostly inspiring to me is that this this community of founders and and brands that we have here truly believe that a rising tide lifts all boats. Mm. So, um, you know, if you've got $10 to spend and you walk in the door here with $10 to spend doing good, it almost doesn't matter which brand you spend it on. They're all winning because you are staying connected to doing good in the world. That's beautiful. How how soon did you know you had something special with the market? <laughs> I don't know. I still I still question myself all the time. But I think that's just the creative in me. I think yeah. cre- you know, creative people were all very we, hard all, we all are very hard on ourselves. We always are our worst critics, right? I think what was inspiring to me was we opened in April on a Thursday and we had a crushing weekend. And the community embraced us right away. And I think what's been really fun for me to see that is is unusual in the, the retail world is our demographic is really, really broad here. And and so when I when I felt like, okay, we've got something was when I started seeing people of different generations shopping together here. Book clubs coming together to hang out and, and meet here, knitting clubs, kids coming after school to hang out at the coffee bar and and you know work on homework. Um, we we set up cornhole out in the front lawn and people yeah, come and play cornhole. Like all of those kinds of things are when I started to say, okay, we're really building a community, mm. um, and, and that was part of the goal. And, and you know, we have this tagline, "You belong here," and it's on our mural outside the store. And I really wanted people to feel like everybody does belong here, so we intentionally stay very focused on that inclusivity. And and I think people live that when they come in. Mm. So. Um, I think people do feel like they belong here. They feel comfortable. They feel at home here. How much can good market grow before it could compromise the community or the culture that is so special about it? Yeah, I don't. I think we have a lot of growth opportunity. Okay. I, I don't think growth equals negative community. Sure. I think what it what it does is it tells us where we need to grow. Mm, good. So we need to grow in places that have some sort of community established or can pull together some sort of community. We don't need to be it the middle of mall of America, right? The biggest mall. Like that's not where we're going to build community. Um, Nashville, we don't need to be in the Gulch. That's a, you know, that's just, it's not a, Which Nashville's a great Friday. community, yeah. right? But, yeah. but there, it's a different community, right? That's yeah. more of a kind of a touristy weekend yes. kind of thing. So every, you know, arguably one of our brands told us one time, like we, we should be the Walmart of community. Like we could be on at the corner in every community all across the country. I think it's a matter of finding the right spots. Okay. So we've got a great runway ahead. Fort Wayne, I think, has proven a lot of things for us that Fort Wayne has embraced us. And yeah. you know, we're a good-sized city, second largest in Indiana, 270,000 people. What can happen if we're in the city that's you know 500,000 people or a million yeah. people? People still want community. Yeah. Um, and, and there are plenty of brands, retailers' brands out there that are building community. Lululemon comes to mind quickly. Great example of that yoga, yep. you know, fitness community. So people want community. It's just a matter of us finding the right place. Yeah. So when you say, you know, growth really is opportunity for better or more community, more intentional conversations around, you know, just the community of the conversation of community and culture. And I know that's so prevalent here, but you know, one of the things that, uh, you talk about Rob Wallstrom, you know, and he was at Josh's birth, Josh Range birthday last yeah. year. And he said to me that the best advice that he never got until it was too late, <laughs> I guess, was he said one of the, I don't remember which it was, but one of the owners of, of Vera, Bradley said that they wish they would have known to stop at 10 million because after 10 million was this corporate transition where you just begin configuring to the need of more structure, more systems, just the corporate nature of, right. of, of business. And you kind of phase out of that startup culture, um, maybe naturally, maybe unnaturally. You know, when you when you think about 
maintaining and protecting the vitality of your culture with good market, yeah. what kind of conversations are in place? What, <laughs> what, what kind of uh, accountability is in place there? Yeah, it's a great question. I think I'm, and maybe I'm fortunate because I've spent, you know, 30 year career in corporate America with corporations. You're aware of it. Um, I, I'm hypersensitive to the fact that I don't want us to become corporate. Yeah. Um, and, and you're absolutely right as, as businesses grow and as more people, you know, get involved there, there are natural sort of guardrails that get put into place. But, um, even today, like, you know, we're running the business. We don't have a CEO. We have managing partners. Mm. Uh, and I think that's, it's a matter of like kind of finding people's things. It doesn't mean we would never have one, but I think maybe I'm just more aware going in then a lot of businesses that grow, grow really quickly. Yeah. Um, you know, our, our mission is never to just be about the store either. The store is just the first part of the platform. I think the, the media piece is going to be important for us. So it's almost like as we grow, we'll grow differently probably than a typical company has, but hopefully that's because I can tap into what I've seen and what I've known. And, you know, Rob and I work closely on all of that. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an issue. But I, I think his, his statement is an accurate one that, you know, as you grow, just be careful and stay true to who you are. Yeah. Um, don't, don't let the growth overwhelm you. Yeah. That's so good. And that speaks to your sensitivity and your, your awareness of what that corporate, uh, system, the corporate culture could do <laughs> yeah. to a great startup culture. Why do you think, you know, just, I guess for, for context for any listeners, why do you think that businesses like Netflix and Uber and even Amazon are also trying as they're just these massive companies to, get back to the startup culture, one that, um, celebrates ideas. Uh, yeah. it's a gritty culture. It's, it's, it's one of, you know, just like relentless commitment and just a different energy. Why are they trying to move back towards that? What is it in that culture that, that has some sort of vitality there? I, I think it's a one word that comes to mind quickly is entrepreneurship. And I think okay. it was an entrepreneurial spirit that was there in all, when all of those companies started, um, you know, and I think that's really what it's about. Like, how do we go back to embracing who we were because that's when we were our best. Mm. So I think that the more companies can hold on to when they were their best, the better they'll be. And I, you know, you mentioned, like, I think you mentioned Uber, mm-hmm. great one, right? Uber was a super cool, arguably community, right? Yeah, kind of yeah. thing, like giving people opportunities that they could go drive when they wanted to drive and, yeah. you know, people could get around when they wanted to get around and it got overwhelming. Um, but I think part of what they've been focusing on is pulling, how do you get back to that again? You know, Apple is a great example of a sort of a community and a, and a culture that I think embraces creativity. Yeah, think um, different. Think different, right? But that's that doesn't mean that it's like free reign. Sure. There's still controls in place. Everything, you know something is Apple before you even see the logo, right? But it, it's really about kind of embracing that creativity and that, you know, that entrepreneurial spirit that Steve Jobs had when he started the company. I mean, he was a tough guy. I watched yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was not any pushover by any means, but he was about thinking different, like you said. And, and I think that's what these companies have to hold on to. Absolutely. So, you know, when when we look at good market and we look at what it blossomed into, when we look at the the podcast that you guys have, which I want to get into that as well, yeah. in, 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 in just your, your, uh, crescendo of your career path, what exactly, <laughs> Thank you. of course, what exactly do you draw on for inspiration? Now I know you're a U2 yeah. fan yeah. and I, and, and I, and I, and I, and I love your, your social posts as well. Yeah. Uh, just, you're very authentic, and I love seeing that on socials. Speaking to the good part of social media, yeah. uh, it's it's a it's a communication platform. It's a place to express yourself and to communicate. And I see that a lot with you. 
what I want to know from you is what inspires you, whether it's socials, whether it's a jewelry maker, whether it's music, what inspires you now after, <laughs> after this, this career you've had? All of the above, I would okay. say. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I think that's part of the most successful creative experiences that I've had is, is being open-minded. But when I see things, you know, I, I was walking through somewhere with somebody recently and they were like, what do you see when you walk in? Well, I see things differently probably than the average person walking into a retail store does, right? Mm, yeah, sure. Um, just because of my career. But I, when I walk outside, I also see things differently. When I, you know, I walk outside the doors here and I look across the way and there's like a series of arches in front of the store. So I'm not, I'm seeing that, that arch and what is that arch and how is that arch inspiring me? So I get inspiration from everywhere. Uh, you know, I, I've, said this is sort of like my summer concert series. I went to see Kenny Chesney a few weeks ago. Okay. I'm not a huge country music fan, but went to see Kenny Chesney, going to see Ed Sheeran and going to see Madonna. So it's like a, this weird <laughs> like summer of music. But all of that is inspirational to me yeah. in different ways. Like probably the raw nature of what Ed Sheeran does when he's on yeah. tour is just really inspiring and he's, to your point, authentic. Yeah. But then, you know, Madonna's going to be a huge production. It's like, yes. how, do you, how do you kind of tap into everything and watch and observe and see and, and kind of appreciate everything that you see? So my inspiration comes from all over, certainly from music. But like if you go in my car right now, you'd hear the coffee house. Like that's, <laughs> I love that's it. what I listen to because it's kind of yeah. downtime for me because I, yeah. I think – that's part of what goes along with a creative mind is all this, this like inspiration from everywhere can get overwhelming. So, yes, um, yes. You, I, I, not to interrupt you, but yeah. that right there is so important. I've seen so many creatives get overwhelmed with just the effort of trying to stay inspired, which is so interesting because I think it's so important for the vitality of a creative's career to be able to tap into creative inspiration without spending much energy to, yeah. to, to allow it to fill them up. That's who they are naturally. Right. Just go be filled. Go be inspired. You don't have to do it for money. You don't have to create for a thing or podcast, a business, a brand. Just create for you, right? right. And it's digesting the things that inspire you, not what inspires your friend or the, whatever is hot in culture right now, but what moves you. What moves you. Exactly. That's right. You know? And it's, it's, it's really interesting. So speaking to what moves you, to pivot a second, I know that you believe in all the brands that are here at Good yeah. Market, but is there any specific brand with a purpose or cause <laughs> that inspires you, that's honey to your soul? Yeah. Um, you know, one of my favorite questions, it's sort of like saying, who's your favorite kid, yeah. right? Um, I'm sorry for even asking no, that. That's okay. Um, it, I would say there's not a specific one. For me personally, causes that are important to me, mental health is very important to me. I Understood. lost my dad to suicide when I was eight, so sorry. Um, which was a, a traumatic thing in the 70s, right? Yeah. People didn't talk about it. And it took until I was in my 30s to be able to actually even have that conversation and be able to say that. Wow. So mental health awareness is very, very important to me. Education is very important to me. And, and I think those causes, but that doesn't mean that homelessness or sex trafficking or childhood hunger or any of those causes are any less important. Sure. They are all equally important. Those are just personally for me, ones that have kind of molded my life. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, it's hard to say that there's a favorite brand. I don't have a favorite brand. I love them all equally. Sure. And, and I want to see them all flourish and grow. But I just, for me personally, though, those are kind of what the ones are that are important to me. Absolutely. I mean, any, any, any business with a mission to help anyone in any way, everybody should get behind that. Right. Yeah, and for sure. And I, I, I love to, I love to the diversity of products here, but but you you guys maintain you don't feel like a hodgepodge though. <laughs> it, now maybe that's your merchandise career. And May, just I think so. <laughs> your visual, just l the way the store is laid out, it feels yeah. conducive. 
Yeah. How do you maintain a consistent brand with multitudes of brands underneath that change sometimes? Yeah, I love that question. I think part of it is really at the at the beginning of when we were thinking about this and realizing that, you know, when I, at the time I thought 10 to 12 brands, which fortunately I was it worked out well that now it still works for 80 brands. <laughs> this kind of foundation of black floor white walls. Mm becomes a blank canvas almost mm. that allows the product to be important. Wow. And, and my whole career has always been about letting the product be the hero. Um, here we have product that tells great stories, so it's even easier maybe. Mm. Um, but how do we do it? It's, it's a little bit of me tapping into everything that I've done and, and my ADHD kicking in <laughs> hardcore and moving stuff around all the time. But the team, I think the team embraces it and loves it too. And, and we value the fact that people can come in and have a great experience when they're here. Um, so... You know, what it's allowed us to do, though, is is talk about tough topics in good ways, you know, and, and by way of our presentation and our sense of discovery that you can find something every corner you turn is something different. It's not always different products. Sometimes it's just in a different place, yeah. but it allows you to learn and allows you to discover as you go. Yeah. What story are you telling with Good Market? Because you're telling so many. Yeah. What, you know, elevator pitch. What, what, is, the, what is the core mission, if yeah. you could? Elevator pitch is, is three sentences. Good people, great products, exceptional causes. Oh, yeah. come on. Easy. We need to tighten up, Tim. <laughs> We've got some work to do at Holy Hill Media. That yeah. is powerful, man. Yeah. Yeah, I, I wish I was in the room during that launch and, and, and that creative process early on, just finding the identity early. But part of what I hear you saying is that sometimes you want to keep that identity a little soft so that it can be molded over time. Yeah. How important is it for the vitality of a business? And forgive me, I've used that word like three times. That's it's a, a hot word for me. That's do you okay. do that too? Where I do. A word I comes do. up and you just want to use it for like three weeks. Or that, that's a great question. That's, <laughs> that's a great, a great question. question. That's exactly. a great question. Yeah. <laughs> but how important is it to keep the, you know, the early stages, that identity soft so that you can grow into what it's supposed to naturally grow into yeah. with somehow maintaining a little bit of control as you're shaping it as it's growing. I think, you know, interestingly, I wouldn't say that we've kept our identity soft. I think okay. we were very intentional about who we are, what okay. we are. And and I think for me, that's part of what makes a brand successful is that they define themselves. Firmly. That doesn't mean, you know, you define yourself as X. That doesn't mean you stay X forever. Um, you know, Barbara Bradley Backard, one of the founders of Beer Bradley, she and I have had lots of really inspiring conversations. And one of the things she says is, you know, as you grow older, your hairstyle is not the same as it was 30 years ago, 40 years ago, but that doesn't mean you're a different person. You mm. have grown, but you are still the same. So I think our brand will always be what our brand is, Yeah. Um, but that doesn't mean the brand won't evolve. So we haven't necessarily been wishy-washy. If, if anything, I've probably been the opposite, very particular about this is not what Good Market does. This is mm. not how Good Market does things. But all of that has been because I wanted us to be this platform for all of these brands that all tell their stories a little bit differently. Yeah. We would be the consistent or the constant, either way you want to look at it, kind of element in all of that storytelling. So we call our team storytellers. They all wear a jacket that has good market embroidered on the back, so they're easily recognizable. But underneath that, they can wear their own shirt, their own jeans. It's just about kind of finding those elements that are consistent and constant and stay true to who the brand is and what the brand is, but not wishy-washy. Right, right. Um, and, and I think that from, from a creative point of view and, and kind of what I would tell creative people is, don't change who you are and what you do to accommodate someone else. Mm. Stay true to who you are. So our brand will always stay true to who we are. We're always going to be about inclusivity and saying you belong here is yes. a part of what we do. 
Um, and you know, the white walls are part of, you know, our foundation, that kind of thing. So yeah, hopefully just, that answers your question. hundred percent. It does. You nailed it. And I, I guess I'm interested and curious from, you know, selfishly, uh, you know, from the Holy Hill media standpoint, and we're trying to right now really come to know exactly how we can communicate our brand significantly to the world simply Yeah. because people like to understand and digest things simply. Right. And you have to really know something. Einstein says, you're not a master of something until you can teach it to a second grader. Yeah. And so um, you know, trying to figure out just the essence of the brand that can really uh, apply the punch, that can move the needle, that people can get behind and be a part of, right? Yeah. Because you know what you guys are doing is 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 has inspired me to be honest with you as an entrepreneur as Thank well. You. Of course, uh, this community based brand that has so many people bought into something bigger than that brand or themselves, mm -hmm. which is really cool. And I would imagine that at ground level, that helps bring in specific employees that you want to work with yeah. or partners or whatever the case that might be. Has that been the case? Have you really just attracted yeah. a lot of the people that you like to work with? You know, I think it goes back to what we we're saying earlier, like people genuinely want to do good. Yeah. And I think our goal is always to be really authentic to that. And, yeah. you know, when you, the, the world, the business world certainly has shifted to be about, um, you know, environmental, social governance, impact, whatever that might look like for you. But I think that there are people that might be trying to figure that out. What does that mean for them? For us, it's our foundation. We, the words that we use, the way that we speak as a brand is, I'm not a writer, so I was fortunate to find somebody that could actually translate what was in my head and, and put it into words. But I think it's about kind of finding what you're true to and then staying to it. And you, it, it, I would tell you, you know, I don't, I don't want to give you brand advice. I mean, you've got your own Please brand, do. right? <laughs> but, um, it, you probably know what it is and you just haven't either had, the, had, you know, you haven't, you haven't put it down on paper yet, or you, you haven't, maybe you haven't been brave enough to just say it. Right. Mm. But I think it's in you. I think you know what you're doing. And, and I would say it's not just about you. It's about kind of anybody that's out there. Um, you know, being, being kind of true to who they are and, and letting it be out there. So for us, you know, authenticity is going to be key here. We're very, very sensitive to each one of the brands that are in here and the work that they're doing. And, and I check in with them often on how things are going. What are you doing? How are you growing? How are you helping? You know, because that's really, it's, it's paramount to us being successful is that they continue to do the work they're doing. Absolutely. And I would, just, I would probably also add it's paramount to your impact. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I, I guess that, that leads to a question that I, I wanted to ask you, you know, and sometimes in, in society, uh, certain events or people or cultures can change definitions of words and perceptions and things of that nature. Authentic, authenticity, in my opinion, has taken on a new general um, understanding. I want to know what does authentic mean to you and what does it mean to a business that, um, you know, in, in, the, in the sense of some sort of um, accountability yeah. to authenticity, to their culture, to their purpose. I think the advent of B Corp certification in companies has been a really interesting one. And the fact that once a business becomes B Corp certified, and we're not B Corp certified, by the sure. way, but, you know, we may be at some point. But once a business becomes B Corp certified, it um, they have to get that certification every year. It's not mm. like you can get it one time and then you're in. So authenticity to me is is really about kind of being true to who you are forever and and not doing something because you think there might be a benefit or somebody might like it better, but it's not true to who you are. Mm. So authenticity for me is really about, for us as a brand, being true to who we were when we started, 
no differently than we are today. Um, and, and that's why we check with our brands to make sure that they're still doing the good that they said they were doing. And no matter how big they might mm. grow, are you still doing what you said you were doing then? Are you still doing it today? What are your plans to keep doing it tomorrow? So I think that's really what we think about authenticity. Um, so I don't, I don't know. Hopefully that kind of speaks to it. But I think for yeah. me, that's really what it's about. I think so, you nailed yeah. it. So you, you have accountability conversations in place for these brands to ensure what you're saying and what you're standing for yeah. is consistent across the shelves. Yeah, but I tell you, like we don't, we don't have to check in with them sure. because they're already doing it on yeah. their own. They're celebrating yeah. it. I think where it becomes a bigger conversation is is when you look at companies, and I'm not trying to say anything bad about any other companies that aren't here, but when you look at companies that um, you know speak to something once and don't come back and talk about it again. You know, one of our newest brands, Parker Clay, has has provided over 1.9 million hours of work for women in Ethiopia that were marginalized, that were you know living on the streets, working on the streets. That's a real number. Wow. And they're talking about it. So I don't have to go check with Ian, the founder, and say, hey, Ian, what are you doing? They're talking about it. And and I think that we as a society should start asking those questions more often. Where was this made? Who did make it? How was how were people being positively impacted, impacted because of it? What was happening in the environment as a result of the production? And it's not just about the people causes. It's about the earth causes, 100%. too. I mean, we know we're dealing with right now these, these fires coming from yes. Canada and, you know, climate change, whether or not you believe it is, is not for me to say, that's not for me to tell you how to believe, but I do know that pesticides going in the environment are making impact and plastics sitting in the ocean are making an impact. And so it, it's all of those things coming together, but we're fortunate that the brands that we work with are telling their stories and shouting from the rooftops now what they're doing. I love it. How much of the customers that you guys bring in are buying from purpose compared to product, if yeah. you had to assume? Oh, I love that question. Um, it, I would tell you probably half the people that come in the door don't know that we're purpose-driven until they get in here. Oh, well, and that's cool. then they get excited, right? That's cool. So so that's part of the joy that we get to do every day because people walk in the door and, and, and think they're walking into hopefully a cool space. They've got a cafe, you know, we've got a cafe, maybe they're coming for a cup of coffee. But even if they're just coming for a cup of coffee, we get to tell them the utopian story, mm. you know, cocaine to coffee. And we get to tell them that story. So, you know, probably half that come in don't know. Um, yeah. The other half are people that have shopped with us already and, and are coming <laughs> back. Yeah. Because they believe in it. Because they believe in it. Yeah. Speaking to your guys' mission and your commitment to impact, you guys have a podcast and you've had we that do. for two and a half years now. Two, right at two years. Two yeah, years? Yeah. Okay. Tell me a little bit about the podcast. Um, who are the people that you interview? What do you guys talk about? And what are you hoping to achieve through the podcast? Yeah, thanks for asking. Our of podcast course. is called Good Market Live on all, all your favorite podcast platforms. Subtle, you know, shameless plug. Yeah, please, um, please. We, we are in season two now. Our, our original, the original idea behind the podcast was just to get the stories out and share the stories more broadly. And the idea today is still just to get the stories out and share mm. the stories more broadly. It's not about us getting on and selling. That's not, we're not, you know, a, a shop, you know, online shopping podcast. That's not the intent. It's really about talking to the founders. And now one of the things that we've shit to do in season two is even including some of the people that are feeling the positive impacts of the work that the founders and the brands are doing. So um, it's it's 100% storytelling focused, sharing the good that's happening as a result of X, Y, or Z, whatever that might be. Yeah. And, and to our conversation about authenticity. We'll stay true to that. That's yeah. that's going to be, that'll continue to be our goal. It doesn't always have to be about 
one of the brands that we carry. We did one in April that was talking about recycling and composting. Um, so there, you know, we find topics that are true to the stories that we're already telling or that are the stories that we're already telling. I love it. I love that so much. So in these conversations, how much of your conversations with the your your, your partners, your collaborators, or even the people that you know their efforts are impacting, how much of that has inspired you, driven you, pushed you to whatever next level looks like? Has it has yeah. it has, has it inspired you to think any bigger? What is what is that podcast doing for you specifically? Yeah, I think for me that with regards to what the podcast looks like, it's always about what is the next story that we can tell. Um, so, you know, we, we talk about some heavy topics in here, but we focus on the good that's happening as a result of people engaging with them. What it inspires me to do is what's the next story? How do we tell the next story and how do we not forget the story we told 25 episodes ago and bring that back? And how has that changed? How have things changed since we did that before? Mm, that's cool. What can we expect from the future of good market? <laughs> And from the future of Harry, what what's yeah. coming? What do you want to come? <laughs> I think what you can look for from us is we're certainly going to expand our store footprint. We'll look for more locations for sure in sort of secondary cities around the country. We don't need to be in the – we did our pop-up in New York City. That's not, We can build community there, but it's not the same as we can build community in kind of secondary cities mm -hmm. around the country. So you can look for that. You can look for our podcast and our media to expand. I think our media platform will continue to grow um, in a big way. And then ultimately, you know, we'll kind of see. I, I would love to see us help – founders and entrepreneurs that have ideas that want to do good, mm. how to help them, you know, bring those to life. I think one of the things that we've gotten lucky that we've been lucky to be able to do is connect product driven people with their cause. Mm. Um, so we have a few people in the store that had a cause and had a product and hadn't put the two together. And we've helped them kind of figure out how to do that so mm. that that social enterprise piece can get pushed more forward. And actually, you know, we have a, a good friend in town that runs a, a charitable organization and we're helping them add a retail component or a, a product awesome. component to it. So I, I think we'll continue to look for those opportunities. How do we, you know, expand the brands and the work that they're doing beyond just the four walls of our store Yeah, or our stores? Yeah, right. Yeah. Multiple, right. Uh, I think you should take a peek at Wilmington, North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> Selfishly. So we're starting a location there. Um, and in Austin. Thank you so yeah. much. Thank you. Um, you know, and it's it's so cool to, to, to be able to peek at different communities for different reasons. Yeah. Obviously, in entrepreneurship, there's a different reason to look at these areas. There are markets, right? And the market potential, there's an impact potential. It makes you just see areas different than you, you did before. Yeah. How, what is the city recruiting process look like for good market location? Yeah, I think, you know, we're going to look for communities where we always has, already have some sort of a foothold okay. initially, okay. Um, because I think part of what we were able to do in Fort Wayne and why Fort Wayne embraced us was because we knew people here already. Sure. Um, so it was, it, uh, we, we had some ears that were already open to listening to our story. So, you know, we will look at cities probably first that have some connection for us so that we've got some friends already there yeah. uh, that can help us. Um, we can't do it alone. Yeah. Right? It's, there's no way just, we can't just walk into a market and say, Hey, we're going to put our stake in the ground here and we're going to be here. We need that community foundation to grow on. So that's probably where we'll, where, you know, where we'll be looking. I love it. And that's the consistency that you've spoken to since the beginning, the inception of the idea. Yeah. I love it. Now, um, 
I, I want to give back to your kids. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> are the young creatives, how much do they take after you? What, what's, what's your guys' relationship like? It's, it's funny. So I have twins. I have a, a boy and yeah, a girl. Yeah. I, I often say the only thing that they, sh- the only things that they share are a birthday and parents. <laughs> okay. uh, everything else, they're completely, completely different. My daughter is highly creative, highly creative. She draws and she sculpts and she paints and she writes and she used her own money to buy herself an old typewriter on, on eBay. Um, so she's definitely the creative one. My son is kind of the opposite. He's a super athlete, big soccer player. Okay. Um, math geek, which he certainly did not get from me. He gets that from his mom. <laughs> sure um, uh, but I, you know, it's it's kind of fun for me to watch them. And sort of the funny thing with my son is that he he and I have a lot of similarities, which are interesting to watch my similarity my similarities to him come to life in his you know in inside him because he is a a very different person than I was. Yeah, yeah. But we still kind of do some things the same. My daughter differently. She's, you know, she's super inspiring just because she just creates these wild, crazy things. And I'm like, wow, where did that come from? Yeah. So, you know, it's fun. They're at a a fun age right now. And I think that they're 14 and the time is flying. And it sort of scares me that I only have four more years at home with them before they go off and start making a bigger impact on the world. But um, yeah, it's 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 a cool thing. Being a parent is is certainly one of my greatest joys. Yeah. And I look forward to being a parent myself. And that's, you know, just trying to figure out uh, with my wife, we just, Past the one year mark in marriage. Yeah, congratulations. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. We're 27 it. years in. So, okay. Congratulations. <laughs> yeah. That's a feat, man. And I love to hear stories that, you know, of, of just, again, long marriages, kids, just, the, you know, the, what I believe could or should be every man and woman's dream, you know, yeah. of building a beautiful family, no matter the dynamic, no matter what it looks like. But, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about personally, selfishly, is how has how kids in that family dynamic has impacted you in your career and your perspective of things and ambitions and entrepreneurship because they take precedence. They're your priority. For sure. Yeah. You know, especially before the, you know, maybe this is your third baby, but yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. how, how has it changed? What has it done to your perspective, your ambitions? I think, you know, it's interesting. Uh, my kids were born in New York City and I had a, I was working at Saks Fifth Avenue at the time. So my kids were immediately kind of thrust into this world and, and, sort of a world. I mean, I, I was really, I've been really fortunate in my career to do some crazy stuff. And so they've been exposed to a lot of things early on that, um, you know, are irreplaceable experiences for them. Yeah. You know, they were seeing Broadway shows when they were five years old, kind of crazy stuff. But I think for me, my goal is always to keep inspiring them, mm. um, but also keep them very, very grounded. So, um, you know, I come from a very humble background, um, as does my wife. And, and I think we, we have embraced the fact that we have gotten to give them great opportunities, um, but also keep them very, very aware of what's going on around them. Um, so I think that was part of the beauty of moving to the Midwest too, was growing up in New York is, is amazing. And what an amazing experience as a child to get to experience all those things, but that's not the rest of the world. And so for them moving to the Midwest has been really kind of like, this is how people in the world live. This is what you get to do. This is what it's like to have a dog in the house, right? This, (laughs) all those kind of things that, you, you know, maybe people take for granted because it's just what they know. So for us, it's about continuing to give them experiences and opportunities, celebrating their wins, you know, sitting and crying with them when they cry. All those things are really important. But, um, yeah, they, they inspire me. And I hope that I'm giving them a little bit of inspiration at the same time. I'm sure you are. And 
Oh man, it's it's interesting to think about the transition from kids growing up to New York into the Midwest. <laughs> it's like completely different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you're surrounded by well, the, the 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 magic and the lights of New York City than compared to the cornfields and yeah. the bean fields of the Midwest. I think the worst is not being able to get something to eat at 11 o'clock oh at night. Oh my <laughs> gosh, right? I mean, it doesn't matter if we have DoorDash or not. No. Everything closes around Everything that closes, time, you yeah. know? Uh, or the, unless it's something that is the absolute worst thing that you can get. <laughs> you know what I mean? I've been there. But I'm curious to as to, as to two more questions, if that's yeah, okay. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, of so... The, the first question that I want to ask uh, in closing is is more just about you specifically. Your career is intriguing, and your trajectory <laughs> has been so intriguing. I'm curious what it takes for a creative to be successful in business. And now three, uh, four actually very successful businesses that you've worked for, and now that you know you're, it is yours. What does it look like to grow in your career as a creative professionally in business, and how have you, I guess, approached growth in your in your career? If that makes sense, totally. I think the the biggest hurdle that I had to overcome or obstacle that I had to overcome was as a creative, you know, I think creative people often sit through critiques and, and get feedback, but aren't always able to really embrace it. Mm. And I was highly defensive about decisions that I made in my career early on when, when I was picking colors or finishes or setting, whatever it was, I had to learn how to listen first and then respond later. Mm. And I think that that applies to so many, not just being a creative in the industry, but so much of life is about just stop and listen and then mm. respond. Don't respond and then listen. Listen and then respond, right? So as a, as a creative in the industry, you know, I had to learn to understand what the things that I was doing were impacting and how they were impacting it and and be able to share ideas and then to your point about business, how they were going to impact business. Um, and, and I think a lot of the trouble that happens with creative people in business is that they don't necessarily always embrace the the business impacts mm. but i think that's starting to change in a big big way and and people are creative people are being respected much more for their business sense so yeah. um, that was a big one for me yeah i love that and what i think i hear you saying has so much to do with uh ego yeah and and so much to do with disassociating yourself from the product not identifying with what you're creating identifying as a creator but not the product yeah. and I guess I, I'm, I'm curious and I'm adding a, a, another question to That's the mix. Okay. I apologize, but how much of the development of a creative warrants dismantling or understanding ego and identity <laughs> and not identifying with your pieces? Because it's so hard. I see creatives all the time. They, they wear their heart on their sleeves. Everything yeah. they create is out in the world for everybody to judge. Yep. And that is so tough, especially because creatives tend to be very emotionally driven. That's how they can create such beautiful art. It's because it's not practical. Yeah. It's, it's something deeper than that. But it also poses a risk to their to the ego or to you know the maybe insecurities because you're exposing so much of something so deep in you. Yeah. What has that process been like for you? First and foremost, I'd say I don't think creatives ever stop wearing their heart on their sleeves, sure. right? I mean, yeah. I think I still do that every day, and I'm still insecure every day when people walk in and see this. Like, are people going to like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's more about kind of managing that and and learning how to know that everybody's not going to like everything you do. Yeah. But that's okay, right? You don't like everything you eat. That doesn't mean that a burger is bad. It's just you may just not like it, but that doesn't mean somebody else is not going to like it. So it's sort of about, for me, and again, this is just what's worked for me. I don't, I can't by any means say that it works for everybody. It was about kind of realizing that people are judging what you do, but that's okay. 
that doesn't make you bad. That doesn't make you wrong. That doesn't make you poor at what you're doing. It's just how somebody interprets it. Um, so I, I think that's really the thing is mm. like, you don't, you don't have to step away from who you are. That's not really, you know, what you should be trying to do to be successful is, yeah. is change yourself, but it's more about how you manage that feedback that you're getting and, and not, and, and kind of getting over that hump of everybody's not going to like everything. That's okay. You don't have to please everybody. That's good. That's really good, man. And I think that what that does is it kind of replaces the insecurity with a sense of um, certainty and confidence that yeah. allows somebody to be <laughs> even further creatively, you know? For sure. Creative. Yeah. I mean, I just, I've been fortunate that I've not been scared to try things. Mm. I, I don't know why I got so lucky, Yeah. Uh, but I've just been fortunate that I don't have a lot of fear. I, I have a fear of flying, but <laughs> but I do it. Um, but it's just sort of like I, I stay true to who I am. And, and I would encourage anybody that's coming up in the creative world to do that. And I hope that, you know, my daughter that we were talking about being so creative, I hope that she does that. Like, just stay stay true to who you are. And if somebody mm. doesn't like it, find your people. Yeah, that's powerful. That is powerful. Find your people. Find your people. Uh, because I see so many creatives out there wandering. And it's so sad because sometimes they they take their lack of community as uh, and they do some self-punishment with it. Like it's something yeah. that's wrong with them or it's their fault. Sometimes you just need to move. Sometimes yeah. you just need to try something new. Sometimes you need to put yourself out there, invite somebody to coffee, right? Anything. Yeah. Um, go be around the people who inspire you, you know, and uh, communities out there. I love how focused you guys are on community. I have one more question for yeah. you. And, you. and <laughs> I, it's, it's almost, uh, it's almost generic, but it's super profound to be able to hear your perspective on this. Just just as an entrepreneur, as a creative, as a professional in general, I love hearing these kinds of answers. But what do you wish you knew <laughs> 10, 15 years ago about your career? And 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 granted, not considering regret, just yeah. what do you wish yeah. you knew? I, I think it's it's a fun question and, and I you know, a lot of people say, what would you tell your 20 year old self? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, would, a better way to ask I wouldn't tell my 20 year old self anything. Mm. Honestly, I think that I, having done all of those things, I don't want to do those again. I've done them. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, one of our brands here, Caddis, the, the founders guy by the name of Tim Parr, and he says that he's in the age business. I, I kind of like that I've done all that, but I'm exploring every day mm -hmm. and I'm, I'm finding new things every day. So I, I wouldn't go back and tell myself anything because I don't want to change the trajectory of history. Mm. There's nothing that I regret doing. I've enjoyed every part of my career, every part of my life along the way. You know, if I if I wanted to get real kind of personal for a minute, losing yeah. my dad at eight was has been and continues to be a challenge, you know, 40 some years later. That's never easy, but that also made me part of who I am. I'm a silver lining person now. I'm not a gray cloud person. So I wouldn't, you know, would I change that? I'd love to have my dad still today, right? But that's not... That's not the cards that I was given. So it was a matter of sort of taking every single thing and adapting as I've gone through my life. So I wouldn't change anything. I'd, I'd keep it going like it's going. That's amazing. Well, perfect answer. Thank you. And, you know, <laughs> it's it's cool to see entrepreneurs, successful ones, people with successful careers in general, maybe if they're not creatives or entrepreneurs, being able to master perspective yeah. and being able to choose how they see the world, choose how they respond to uh, tragedy, yeah. you know? And I think that it's, it's the ultimate romance. It's the ultimate storybook to be able to see somebody experience something and choose how they proceed in life after that moment. Yeah. And I think, you know, I'd sorry to interrupt you. I think that no, I please. would tell you though, I was really, really fortunate that I had a really strong support system 
early on. I had a mom that believed in me and supported mm. me and grandparents that believed in me and supported me. So something so tragic as that could have shifted my life one way, mm -hmm. but because I had that support, it shifted my life in another way. Mm. And, and I think as a parent now, and, and what I would tell anybody else is tragedies happen, but tragedies shouldn't define you. Tragedy, tragedies should mold you and, and make you approach things the way, you know, in a different way. So yeah. I, you know, I was really lucky that I had that really solid foundation behind me that helped me, um, you know, continue on the path that I was going. What, what are your parents' names? My dad's name was Harry. Harry, okay. Yeah, and my mom's name is Bobby. Harry and Bobby. Well, they did good, <laughs> and I think they'd be both proud to see what you're doing with your kids now. My mom lives here in Fort Wayne, and Amazing. She's, still, she's still here. Amazing. Yeah, did she move when you moved? She moved just a couple years ago. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. Awesome. Um, I'm an only child, so she gets to be here with her grandkids. So That's amazing. That's, yeah. That's amazing. Well, Harry, thank you so much for your time, oh, thank your you. wisdom, your experience. I appreciate the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely love what you're doing with Good Market. You know, th these are the kinds of businesses that make you even more proud to be from the Midwest. You know, some people, uh, they feel like there's a lack of reasons to be proud, but there's plenty. And, and, you know, a vast majority of them have to do with the people who care about the community. For sure. And so thank you for caring about communities. Yeah. Thank you for being here in Fort Wayne. And thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, talk to you soon, buddy.